Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, today we're talking about the 1984 superhero black comedy splatter film, The Toxic Avenger. And Jesse, this is like your all-time number one favorite film, isn't it? Oh yeah, I got the, uh, I got the, like the 25th anniversary edition on Blu-ray Oh or man, something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I seen it when I was like, I don't know, but like. Uh, in the mid 90s or whatever like you know usa used to show uh trauma movies all the time you know and it's like right and then like you know i got it on video where it's like you know unedited and shit and like nice. just the first three movies are always like a mainstay in like old mom pa like vhl like a uh, horror section or whatever right but uh yeah i love trauma movies and this is like the the litmus test of trauma movies like if you can make it through this one you should probably check out other trauma movies if you don't like this movie don't check out other trauma movies exactly <laughs> every trauma movie is made with this same formula and this same style so if yeah if you don't like this one you're not gonna like any of the others movies rated r runs 84 minutes Made on a budget of $500,000, it made $800,000 at the box office. And after a successful run as a midnight movie in 1985 at a theater in Greenwich Village, it developed an avid cult following, which remains strong almost 40 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, because, like, in the 90s, they tried to make this a cartoon. And here, I remember pretty, that. Yeah, here pretty soon we're gonna have like a PG thirteen movie in major theaters. Exactly, a remake, which is it's not so much a remake as it is a reimagining of the Toxic Toxic Avenger. It's in pre production right now, slated for release later this year. Written and directed by Macon Blair, who also worked on Blue Ruin and The Green Room. Starring, get this, Peter Dinklage, Kevin Bacon, Julia Davis, and Elijah Wood. Yeah, they got Frodo in there. They got Frodo and Tyrion Lannister in a Toxic (laughs) Avenger movie. And if this screens in Nashville, we need to get all of our listeners together and go watch it. Oh, yeah. That sounds cool. The story was written by legendary Lloyd Kaufman, co-founder of Troma Entertainment and responsible for some of the best movies that never should have been made. Yeah, he's a madman. Screenplay by Joe Ritter. He wrote the screenplay for every Toxic Avenger film, including the big budget reboot. He also worked as a cameraman on Eddie Murphy Raw, Hell Comes to Frogtown, Barton Fink, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Pulp Fiction, Starship Troopers, and Coyote Ugly. Ew. Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula, that movie's dope as hell. You know what I like the most about that one? What? Is Frank Caliendo talking about Keanu Reeves being in the Dracula movie. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a good thing. Directed by Michael Hertz and Lloyd Kaufman. They are the co-founders of Troma Entertainment. Michael Hertz, known for directing the first three Toxic Avenger films, Troma's War, and Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Never watch that movie. <laughs> is that bad, huh? I love Troma, but Sergeant Kabuki Man is the most... It's just, I don't know. I'd rather watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or some shit before I watch Sergeant Kabuki Man and one PD Jesus. Okay. Yeah, it's really bad. Special makeup effects by Jennifer Aspinall, who is known for working on Mad TV, Saturday Night Live, Captain Marvel, and Westworld. Ralph Cordero, who did special effects on Georgia the Jungle, Coraline, and Paranorman. And Tom Loughton, who did special effects on Peter Jackson's remake of King Kong, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and The Chronicles of Narnia. That's impressive. But, like, yeah. uh, back in the day, like in the 80s, the trauma movies, like the meat and potatoes, was, like, the graphic and right. special effects and stuff. And so, like, it was, like, I don't know, to me, trauma was, like, uh, the Roger Corman factory on the East Coast. Like, Yeah, exactly. And so, like, all these people that work there, like, I mean, you know, James Gunn and stuff, they got their start for, you know, Lloyd and it's, like, the trauma team, you know. We talked about this on some of the some of the most recent episodes that Roger Foreman launched acted as a springboard for some of the most successful people in Hollywood. And well, Lloyd Kaufman did the same thing. Lloyd Kaufman also acted as a springboard for another of our favorite directors, Matt Lawrence, who gave us the 2020 masterpiece of comedy horror uncle peckerhead yeah oh man that guy rules wardrobe by breen 11 i don't often talk about wardrobe folks but there there's a reason here she went on to become a producer for food network including producing episodes of diners drive-ins and dives with guy fieri and Bizarre Foods, Delicious Destinations with Andrew Zimmerman, some of my favorite food shows. Oh, yeah. Movie stars, a cast of trauma regulars and some people who were never heard from again, which is pretty <laughs> standard. Yeah. And Mark Torgel as Melvin Junko. He's credited as Melvin Ferd in some places. I think he's referred to as Melvin Ferd in the opening narration of this movie. But he's credited yeah. as Melvin Junko. There's a documentary they did about him, like not too long ago, and he's like on the cover of it. He still looks the same. Yeah, yeah. I saw a picture of him online. He looks exactly the same, except he has a, a gray beard now. Yeah. He appears in the first Turn On, Toxic Tutu, Return to Class of Nukem High, Volume Volume Two, Citizen Toxie, The Toxic Avenger Four. He was also very successful as an editor on a number of syndicated game shows made by Byron Allen's Entertainment Studios, including Funny You Should Ask and Who Wants to Date a Comedian? Uh-huh. Gary Schneider as Bozo. He appeared in Class of Newcomb High, Beach Balls, and Troma's Edge TV. Robert Pritchard as Slug, looking a lot like a very young Ashton Kutcher in this movie, but... 
definitely not Ashton Kutcher, who was only six years old when this was released, and he wouldn't get his first acting role for another 14 years. He appeared in Class of Newcomb High, Alien Space Avenger, Return to Newcomb High Volume 1, and Werewolf Bitches from Outer Space. Uh-huh. Yeah. Both those guys are like, you know, just trauma legends, especially like in uh, the Class of Newcomb High and stuff. That that That's like my second favorite trauma movie. And yeah, they are both play the bad guys in both films. I think he's a better bad guy in class of Newcomb high than he is in this one though oh yeah this one is totally i don't want to use the word amateur because you know the type of movies we're talking about but like it, it seems like it's more like you know off the cuff and shit and then and then uh, class of Newcomb high you're like it's more defined just straight up like you know he's like i'm going to be the ultimate asshole bad guy you know yeah one of the things we talked about when we were discussing class of Newcomb high is the original director for that movie actually wanted to make a real horror movie. And and so he was directing Robert Pritchard as a very, very dark, evil character. And then Lloyd Kaufman fired him and fixed all of that. Um, yeah. That didn't happen in this movie. This movie started off with him being a cornball douchebag and kept that up through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mitch Coden actually plays the Toxic Avenger. He's known for Clerks, Citizen Toxie, and Chiller Cinema. Kenneth Kessler was the voice of the Toxic Avenger, and he mainly worked as an assistant director in the 1940s and 1950s on shows like Broken Arrow, Maverick, and 77 Sunset Strip. Another trauma staple, Pat Ryan as Mayor Peter Belgoody. Known for playing every sleazy fat guy in every trauma film up until his death of, in 1991 at the age of 44. That was like a, another trauma staple. Is they always had like a fat guy as a mayor or like a businessman or something like that. And uh, right. yeah, like as soon as this guy passed, they had to go and get another one. Both of them really great actors. Both of them really good. This guy is like, I don't know. He's, he's got acting chops. Like, he really, like, delivers his lines and shit, like, awesomely. And there's, like, some bits in there. Some of my favorite bits right. is him, like, screwing around. Jennifer Baptiste as Wanda appeared in Goodbye New York, Class of Newcomb High, and Head Games. She also worked as a producer for a few films and some direct-to-video projects. She married Robert Pritchard right after this film was finished. They stayed married for about 20 years, actually. Yeah. And Andre Miranda as Sarah. She had a very short film career. She appeared in this and a comedy special starring Don Rickles and Don Adams called Top Bananas. Movie opens with a warning of extreme violence. And yeah, they're right. Should have also contained a warning that the ham was turned up all the way to 11 on this one. Every single actor on every single line, was instructed to really ham it up. And they did yeah. it, and it's funny. It's like that over-the-top, like, cartoony campiness. Like exactly. The yeah, the, the classic trauma cheese. Mm -hmm. Get a shot of the New York skyline. 
including the Twin Towers. Camera pans to a trash dump with, a rust, with rusted out barrels marked with the radiation symbol. There's also a trash-covered trailer in the middle of it all. The narrator explains that most toxic waste in the country is dumped in the nearby town of Tromaville, the toxic waste dumping capital of the world. And as he's saying this, you drive, you, there's a drive-by shot of a park with a sign that says, Welcome to Tromaville, the toxic waste dumping capital of the world. <laughs> See the exterior shot of the Tromaville Health Club, which appears to be a storefront with trash piled in the street out front. This is where Melvin worked. His life will be changed by toxic waste. Melvin's a goofy-looking mop boy at this health club. <laughs> there are shots of people working out as the opening credits roll. Incredibly pervy shots of people working out. And the cameras just scroll right by the guys. It'll just pass right over them, but it always zooms in on every woman's chest. Well, well 80s. Right. There are also two gay men wearing sequined thongs, and the mayor is there having his belly massaged. Bozo, Slug, Wanda, and Julie are all making fun of Melvin as he accidentally slaps people with his mop. Bozo is enraged by Melvin's poor mopping skills. Bozo's enraged by everything in this movie, though. Yeah, an ant could fart and he'd go off on it. He's just He's cranked up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Melvin is distracted by somebody calling him to come clean up a toilet. And because he's distracted, he accidentally dips his mop in the jacuzzi where these four people are hanging out. And they all jump out and Bozo and Slug shove Melvin around and threaten him. Bozo yells at Melvin, stressing him. He's stressing me. <laughs> <laughs> And he storms off screaming. Julie yells as Bozo yells, just like Bozo did. And, and she also storms out. And so Melvin heads to a mirror to check out his puny biceps. Slug and Wanda are watching Bozo on the bench press machine. Bozo is working out furiously, but Slug reminds Bozo there's only one muscle he needs to worry about while he grabs his crotch. One thing I noticed when watching this movie, there's a lot that happens in this movie, but it's paced in a way that makes it seem like not much happens in this movie. Yeah, like there'll be like a really cool scene and then the next scene will be like so slow or uh, bogged down or something. It's like, man, it was building tension and then like, bam, it's yeah. like, I don't know, it was another like it's like, wait, what happened? We were back there. You know, it's like, go back. It's like, no, nah, can't. Uh, we're on these people now. Yeah, exactly. Cut to Slug and Wanda in the locker room. Slug has paid somebody to make sure they have the place to themselves. Slug's got a bottle of liquor in his locker and a newspaper clipping of a hit-and-run driver, which turns out to be him and Bozo. Wanda wants to go with him the next time they go driving. Apparently, their idea of fun is running down pedestrians on the street. Yeah, it's like the, what was it, Death Race 2000 or something? A lot and like Death Race 2000, yeah. It's kind of like that. And uh, also uh, that Quentin Tarantino movie, Death Proof. Yes. Like, they're like those, that, this, they're like that guy. They're, they're those type of people are just in, crazy, insane, and just, you know, 
sadistic. Well, Slug is describing to Wanda what it's like when they run people down on the street, and, and that's all it needs, all it takes to get her going. She rips her shirt open, and she rips Slug's shirt open, and the two of them have very loud sex on a bench in the locker room. They're supposed to have this place to themselves, but Melvin shows up to mop, and, and he sees him and starts laughing in his goofy way until they notice him and chase him off. It's kind of weird because they both threaten him, but Wanda pulls out a switchblade with a pretty pink ribbon hanging off of it and threatens to kill him, and that's when Melvin actually leaves. <laughs> Cut to nighttime on the street. Bozo is driving with Julie in the front seat. Slug and Wanda are making out in the back seat. Bozo, um, as always, is super intense and worked up, as Julie explains, the point system for running people over. This bit of dialogue here did not age well and oh, is no, filled yeah. with various racial slurs. Then she explains that kids under 12 are worth double points, and that's when we see Jimmy putting on his helmet and riding off on his bicycle into the night. It's like it's from another movie or something, that scene. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, really like, uh, like a, I don't know, some kind of comic strip or like family circle like type thing. It's like, have a good night, Jimmy. And her mom's like giving him a thumbs up and shit. Bozo spots Jimmy on his bike and Julie explains it's 28 points if he hits both the kid and the bike. Well, they drive past the kid to get a better look at their victim and make sure there are no witnesses around. Then Bozo does a handbrake turn and heads back toward the kid. Get shot of Bozo's feet on the gas pedal, surrounded by empty Budweiser cans. <laughs> Bozo hits the kid on the bike, sending him flying. The kid bounces off the windshield and rolls across the top of the car. In the back seat, though, Wanda notices that the kid's still moving. Slug says there's no way Bozo gets full points since he didn't actually kill the kid. Bozo's not going to let that stand. He puts the car in reverse, speeds towards the kid, driving over his head and crushing it like a melon. They crushed it like a melon because it was a melon. Well, yeah. <laughs> Everybody in the car celebrates, and then Julie and Wanda get out to take pictures with their Polaroid Instant cameras. These are some sick girls, Jesse. Yeah. Back in the car, Bozo wants to find another person to run down, but Slug says he can't, and he has to get up early in the morning so he can go to church. Next day at the health club, an aerobics class is in progress. The instructor's giving the class a hard time for not following his instructions. He tells them, you need to do exactly what I do. If I do a thing, then you do exactly that same thing. Well, he's so busy yelling at them that he doesn't even notice as Slug sneaks up behind him and takes a snake out of his gym bag and puts it down the aerobics instructor's shirt. The instructor starts thrashing around trying to get to the snake, and to their credit, the class does exactly what he does. <laughs> Next, Bozo, Slug, Julie, and Wanda are on the racquetball court. Bozo wants to make really sure everybody's watching him hit this ball. He's not going to hit the ball yet. You're gonna, you watching me hit this ball? I'm going to hit this ball so hard. You need to watch me hit this ball. 
outside the glass wall of the room, Melvin is standing there and he's definitely watching Julie and Wanda. Bozo sees this and freaks out. So Slug hits a ball at Melvin's head that chases him off. Julie then explains that she's got a plan to fix Melvin for good. Cut to Melvin poolside gathering discarded towels. Julie approaches Melvin, which scares him, of course, because she was just yelling at him the last time she saw him. Like 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Well, she says she's there to apologize. In the background, behind them, some of the people at the pool are pretending to dance. And there's this chubby girl in shorts and a hoodie who is seen in several places throughout this health club. She's supposed to look like she's flirting with a shirtless guy there poolside, but she can't stop watching the action between Julie and Melvin. She's totally staring at the camera the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Julie explains she needs Melvin's help with something, but she can't talk about it here. She wants Melvin to meet her in the girls' locker room around 7 o'clock. Melvin says, that's fine. He's got to go clean the toilets in there around that time anyway. And Julie leaves. In another part of the gym, Bozo and Slug are doing sit-ups while they pass a joint and Wanda keeps count. This is uh, definitely not a Planet Fitness. Outside on the street, there's a flatbed truck loaded with barrels. The sign on the truck reads, Tromaville High Tox Chemical Waste Disposal Incorporated. The truck is loaded with open, overflowing barrels of contaminated radioactive chemical waste. One of the guys in the truck wants to stop and take a break. They've been driving for two whole hours. They need to take a break. But the other guy explains they can't stop in habitated areas because of this stuff being, you know, cancerogenic. (laughs) When the passenger in the truck lets the driver know that he's got a giant Ziploc bag of cocaine, though, that changes everything. And they decide to pull over and get high. They just happen to park right in front of the Tromaville Health Club. Yeah. Also, when they stop, it's like really cool, like cartoony, like all the barrels kind of slide to the front. Yeah. I wonder how many takes it took to get that one right. I don't know, man, but it's it's funny as shit. Like, just (laughs) they're not even strapped down. They're like hitting potholes and shit. And they just got these like bubbling toxic barrels, like old metal shit. It's it's a very subtle sign to you that something horrible is going to happen. I mean, we knew the minute we saw the barrel, something horrible was going to happen. But just the the way they slide when they stop the trucks makes them seem just that much more dangerous. Well, inside, Melvin meets Julie in the locker room. She says that she wants to break up with Bozo because he's she's actually attracted to Melvin and she wants to do it with him. Melvin, Melvin's kind of confused. You want to do what? Uh, it, dummy. But not here. She wants to do it down by the pool. And she also wants him to wear a pink tutu that she brought for him. It's her favorite color. And she promises to get naked for him if he'll just put it on. Then she flashes her boobs at him and leaves him to change. Melvin changes into the tutu and heads down to the pool with his mop. When he gets there, all the lights are off and he's calling to Julie. And Julie says, I'm over here. And she tells Melvin to put his arms around her. And so he does. And when we hear a guy say, turn the lights on, 
Melvin's cuddling with a sheet that's wearing a bikini, a wig, and lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) And a whole bunch of people are gathered around laughing at Melvin. I don't know how they got the sheep to stand still for the lipstick. (laughs) Uh, They probably drugged it. Yeah, this might have been before all the animal rights stuff. I don't know. Well, Melvin runs out, chased by the crowd. He's running through a hallway and jumps out of a window, landing headfirst in a barrel of radioactive waste. If the jump out of the window looks familiar, it's because we saw... This same person jump out of this same window in class of Nukem High. Yeah. They they reuse that shot a lot. And there's this one scene where there's like a car driving down the street and it gets flipped over and it explodes. They yeah. use those in like every movie ever. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, it's cheaper that way and it's a good shot. Yeah, I don't know. It's like uh, when the sound guys recycle, like the Willem scream, you know, like when people fall off buildings or something. Ah! Yeah. Uh, it's like that. It's just like a little kind of like tongue in cheek. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that car flipping scene, they'll put that in the movie like four or five times in a row <laughs> as like just like some kind of elaborate joke. Right. Well, Melvin lands headfirst in a barrel of radioactive waste. Inside the truck, the two Teamsters look up and their faces are just covered with white powder. The gang from the gym pour out onto the sidewalk to see Melvin convulsing on the ground, which they think is hilarious, of course. Melvin is covered in green goo, which then starts burning. Bozo is stressing because he thinks Melvin's faking because Melvin can't take a joke. <laughs> a, a cop shows up and pushes the crowd back as Melvin lies screaming on the sidewalk. The cop tries to help Melvin, but when he touches Melvin, his hands just burst into flames. And that's when Melvin gets up and runs out into the street and he is completely on fire. That scene is fucking awesome. It is. Uh, it's a good shot there. They're playing uh, like that classical music. Like, I don't know, I forgot what the name of it is. It's like from Fantasia or whatever. It's, I don't know, but it's like, it's just awesome. Like, it, there's that one scene where it kind of slows down and shit, and then he just runs around. But I always like it in movies, and it's like, uh, you know, applaud them for doing it. But when stunt guys like just set their whole bodies on fire and run around. Right. I always love that. There was like a really cool music video from the 90s where it's just that guy doing that in slow motion running down the street. I don't know. Oh, man. But yeah. Well, apparently Melvin ran all the way home. His mother is standing outside a closed bathroom door asking if he's all right because it's just weird sounds coming from in there. Melvin <laughs> is climbing into a bathtub after he left green foaming footprints all across the carpet in the bathroom. As he's sitting in the bathtub, the skin on his arms starts bulging and bubbling. That was a really good gimmick. Yeah. And then his hair starts falling out. Smoke is pouring out from under the bathroom, and his mother keeps asking if he's okay. Melvin gets out of the bathtub, and the shot goes all trippy, like it goes photo negative and slow motion, motion blur kind of thing. It's like very reminiscent of uh, the. Class of Nukem High scene. Right. After they smoke their toxic joint. It's like almost like that, but like uh, different. This one's more terrifying. The other one's kind of comedic. You know, it's like cartoony. This one's like kind of spooky. I mean, it's like kind of messy with you. Right. 
Now, Melvin is howling in pain and thrash, and he bends down off camera. And when he stands back up, short, scrawny Melvin is now a tall, muscular monster with a much deeper voice. Outside the bathroom, Melvin's mother switches from concerned to proud, as this deeper voice must mean that Melvin has finally hit puberty. <laughs> See shots of monster Melvin running across town and through some fields. Can't see him well because he's backlit the whole time. They're doing a really stupid attempt at a big reveal because we kind of saw Melvin's face in the mirror when his hair was falling out. But from this point until a while from now, you will only see Melvin from the shoulders down and from behind. Yeah. They're trying to do a big reveal of the face that we've already seen, but they want to give you time to forget you saw it. Uh, I don't know if that was like a storytelling thing or if that was like, man, it's, that makeup's really uncomfortable. We're not going to pull a full face mask on. Just get, get, shoot him from the shoulders down, you know. We'll give him a break, you know. We'll, I have no idea. It's nighttime in an alley. A street gang are counting money. There's a guy with a bandana. That is Knuckles. He also has a dog chain around his neck and a club in his hand. There's a bald guy with a cigar. That's Cigar Face. And a bearded cross-dresser named Nipples. There's also a notice painted on the walls that says, No Pissing, Tuesday and Thursday, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. That's funny as hell. <laughs> well, they're planning to use this money to bribe Officer O'Clancy, but Officer O'Clancy is rumored to be an honest cop, so there's some question as to whether or not it's going to work. O'Clancy comes around the corner and Cigarface says they brought him a present from the boss and Cigarface stuffs the money in O'Clancy's pocket. O'Clancy won't take the bribe, so they start beating him up. Cigarface is going to shoot O'Clancy in the balls when he's grabbed from behind by Melvin. Melvin rips Knuckles' hair off and he pulls off Nipples' wig as well. Then he uses Cigar Face as a boxing speed bag. Uh, he's about as cartoonish as you can get. He steps on his toes and just starts punching him in the face. Yeah, it's like when, when Popeye would like just beat the shit out of somebody. It's, it's like that kind of violence, you know? Yes, ah, it's yeah, very yeah, much yeah, like I, Popeye. Yeah, no. Um, That's a great cartoon. <laughs> well, Knuckles punches Melvin from behind, which doesn't do much damage, but Melvin... Punches Knuckles in the face, just exploding his nose all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> Nipples starts karate kicking Melvin, so Melvin uses a Three Stooge eye gouge, but does it in a way the Three Stooges never did. It seems that Melvin's fingers go all the way in, and when he pulls back his hand, Nipples' eyeballs are stuck to the end of Melvin's fingers like they were olives. I bet awesome. they used olives for that. <laughs> then Melvin grabs Cigar Face by the crotch and shoves him in a barrel. The other two get up and he bashes their heads together until their skulls break open. Then he smashes his mop into their dead faces. 
Finally, Melvin heads over to Officer O'Clancy. Um, Melvin is calm now, and he tells the officer, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you, and he sends the officer off on his way. At the hospital, Officer O'Clancy is surrounded by reporters and the police chief, who is a very real Nazi, while the doctor and nurse attend to O'Clancy's injuries. O'Clancy's answering reporters' questions about the attack in Shinbone Alley, and then we see a spinning newspaper with the headline, Monster Mops Up Bad Guys. They love this spinning newspaper bit, too. Oh, yeah. It's like some like kind of throwback to old Hollywood. Plus, it's like a nice quick proge- progression to the next scene or whatever. You like, okay, right. That wraps, that wraps that up, you know. In the office of Mayor Pete Belgoody, they are discussing the attack. It turns out the mayor is the boss that sent that money to bribe Officer O'Clancy. This gang. Cigarface and his gang were part of an organized crime ring run by the Tromaville town government. They are as crooked as you can get. Back at the Tromaville Health Club, Julie is going into a sauna. She's doing bodybuilder poses as in the sauna. Now, one thing I noticed about this sauna is every time somebody goes in there, they pick up a bottle of water and pour it on the stones to make more steam. And, of course, it's not real steam because that would screw with the cameras. But the bottle actually has Sunny Delight still printed on. Yeah. Well, Julie's doing her bodybuilder poses in the sauna as a hunchback figure under a gray blanket shambles toward her. The figure grabs Julie's shoulder from behind and she pulls the blanket off, revealing slug. Because apparently this is a thing he likes to do. He likes to play the elephant man. Well, it just came out and it was a really popular film. Uh, right. I mean, he got a, you know, Academy Award, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elephant Man is the shit. You know, it was produced by Mel Brooks. Really? Yeah. Uh, produced by Mel Brooks, uh, directed by David Lynch. That movie's awesome, man. Elephant Man. That's, that's nuts. Elephant man. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk about high art like that on this show, but if, if we did. <laughs> that's that's not nearly spray can cheese enough for us. Yeah, but uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melvin returns home. For some reason, he knocks on the door and waits for his mother to answer. When she opens the door, she sees him and screams and locks him out of the house. Well, Melvin's sad and he walks along some railroad tracks. Until he comes to the toxic waste dump, which he immediately starts cleaning up and turning into his new home. He makes himself a little junkyard home. He makes a table out of some old used tires and hangs a crappy picture on the wall and makes himself a pallet on the ground and lays down to go to sleep. Meanwhile, the mayor is meeting with people at his house to discuss rezoning the toxic waste dump. That's valuable real estate. They actually want to move the toxic chemical dump to a new location that is just 20 feet from the source of the town's drinking water. (laughs) Cut to the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant called The Mexican Place. (laughs) (laughs) What else would you call it? There's a party in the parking lot and people eating inside in the kitchen. A cook has his hand shoved down the front of his pants. 
just as you realize, what the hell is this guy doing? He pulls out a bottle of bourbon and sneaks a drink. It kind of looks like Slug works here, too. They don't ever mention him, but it looks like him. There is a blind woman at a table by herself with a seeing eye dog. And about that time, a group of costumed robbers break in and announce they are robbing the place. The leader of the gang is a charismatic guy who takes time to introduce his entire crew. Got Leroy on shotgun. He's played by Patrick Kilpatrick. This is his first film role. He had also appeared in the soap opera The Edge of Night and has 158 other credits in mostly action films and cop dramas. Yeah, he's always playing some kind of psycho or like asshole cop. And, uh, yeah, you can see, I mean, as soon as you see his face, you know him. It's like, I don't know. When I see his face, I go, hey, that's that guy with the paint on his face from uh, Toxic yeah. Avenger. But, yeah, you always see him. He's been, like, you know, bad guys on, like, Law & Order and shit like that. And, uh, I don't know, just about everything. He's a good actor, and he got to start being a crazy scumbag and a trauma. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, right? Next is Rico, played by Michael Russo, who had far more success as a stuntman and later stunt coordinator. He worked on Spider-Man and Independence Day. Oh, yeah. And Frank, played by Larry Sultan, and this is his only film credit. I don't know if he went to theater after this or what, but this is the only thing he ever did in front of a camera. He probably went to accounting or something because this guy sucked. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, like a, he's like dead weight in the whole gang. <laughs> well, Leroy is terrorizing patrons while Rico gets the money. Frank starts harassing the blind woman, and when he does, her dog starts barking, so Leroy shoots the dog, killing it. It just goes sliding across the floor. Frank prepares to rape the blind woman when he is grabbed by Melvin, who just appeared out of nowhere. Melvin starts beating up the robbers in a one-on-one against Frank. Melvin rips Frank's arm off and then beats him with it in a cliche come to life. (laughs) Next up is Leroy. He can't hit Leroy with Frank's arm, so he kicks him. He kicks Leroy until Leroy somersaults into the kitchen and Rico dives out over top of him. I don't know who choreographed this fight, but come on, dude. Rico seems to know karate, and although Melvin just yesterday got big and strong, it doesn't mean he knows how to fight. And this fight takes forever because Melvin can't seem to hit the guy. Rico eventually pulls out nunchucks, so Melvin kicks Rico in the chin, making him drop the nunchucks. So Rico does the next best thing. He goes to the wall of this Mexican restaurant. And pulls a katana off the wall because most Mexican restaurants have Japanese weaponry as part of their decor, right? I guess. I don't know. Maybe uh, it used to be called the Japanese place and it was like <laughs> a Japanese restaurant. And it got bought out, right? But uh, yeah, I don't know. Because movie, I don't know. That's, that's the reason right there. Well, Melvin tosses Rico over the counter into the kitchen where he lands on the floor as tortilla chips shower down on him from above. I loved that. That was hilarious. Yeah, it was like a John Woo moment in this crappy movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
Leroy reappears and tries to hit Melvin from behind with a canister from the soft drink fountain. Those come in plastic bags now, but I remember when they came in those big metal canisters. Oh, yeah. Melvin grabs him and holds him down and pours a gallon of milk into his mouth while the cook watches horrified. Then he adds a big scoop of ice cream, pours some chocolate syrup on, sprays some whipped cream, and uses the milkshake mixer to destroy Leroy's head, killing him. That was like a uh, creative kill. It was a very creative kill. Over the top. Uh, Like, I don't know. I I love that. That one sticks out, you know. (laughs) This whole scene kind of sticks out. I mean, from the very moment that he ripped Frank's arm off and started using it as a club, the kills just get better and better. Yeah, like the first the first fight in the dark alley. Yeah, you know, as a fight, it was like Popeye shit. But this shit is like just, you know, I don't know. It's like Jason Voorhees, like kind of like creative kills or something. I don't know. Yeah, especially when we get to Rico. So he takes Rico. He shoves his hands in a fry basket and then squeezes the basket shut on him. Then he pulls loose some uh, electrical conduit on the deep fryer and bends that around him to hold Rico in place and deep fries Rico's hand. (laughs) Finally, he goes and grabs one-armed Frank and shoves his head in the pizza oven. (laughs) Pizza oven at a Mexican restaurant. With Japanese weaponry. Man, that place. This restaurant has been bought out probably seven times. Melvin then attempts to calm down the blind woman. We'll eventually find out that her name is Sarah. She wants Melvin to help her leave, but she can't go anywhere because her dog is dead. So Melvin takes her out the back way just as the police arrive at the Mexican restaurant. Throughout all of this, we still have not seen Melvin's face. We've only seen him from behind. And as Melvin leads this blind woman... He's always walking backward. Always. Yeah. At her house, Sarah opens the front door and tells Melvin not to trip over the step because he's still walking backwards for some reason. She enters the, the apartment before him, but he's standing there walking backwards into the door. She tells him to watch out for the step. Then she immediately trips over the step and falls on her face. This is where the movie awesome. kind of becomes airplane. Yeah, they're the opening parts of Airplane, but yeah. Yeah. Just goofy for no reason. (laughs) It's basically any Zucker Brothers film at this point. Yeah. So Sarah needs to get her cane. There are about 20 of them on a stand by the door. She grabs one, knocking all of the rest of them over. Then she uses the cane to point out a place for Melvin to sit and accidentally whacks him in the nuts as she does. At the Mexican place, the Nazi police chief is getting a rundown of the crime scene while shoving tacos in his face. The people giving him the rundown of the crime scene are also shoving tacos in their faces. Yeah, and it's it's like a, I don't know, it's like the first one's like a nice, like, you know, neat taco. And each scene that they show them eating tacos, it gets messier and messier. Right. It's funny as shit. The drunk cook describes Melvin's face, and of course, it's all deformed now, or at least we think it is. We haven't actually seen it. 
but the drunk cook is describing him to the police chief. The police chief thinks that's just drunken nonsense. Back at her apartment, Sarah wants to touch Melvin's face to see what he looks like. Melvin doesn't want her to touch him because he says he's got a horrible rash on his face. She says, you mean acne? And he says, yeah, that's what it is. Well, that's no big deal. Well, instead of touching her face, she offers to read his palm. And she tells him that he's going to be a very important person. Then she reaches for his other hand, accidentally grabs his crotch, turns to the camera and goes, oops. <laughs> Another spinning newspaper. This time the headline reads, Monster Hero Saves the Day at Fast Food Restaurant. At the Tromaville Police Station, a group of reporters are being addressed by Dr. Merton Snodberger from the Garden uh -huh. State Cerebro Research Center. And he's explaining that the monster's only attacking bad people, that he was apparently exposed to toxic chemical waste, and it has caused him a, to develop a compulsion that makes him destroy evil. Nice. So he's a superhero. He's a superhero now, yes. Awesome. Back at the health club, Dennis is selling drugs out of his locker. Julie and Wanda are reviewing the photos they took of the kid on the bike that they killed at the beginning of the movie. Mayor Bell Goody is getting a massage while eating a sandwich, the best way to get a massage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dennis then delivers the drug money to the mayor and does a bump of cocaine before laying down on one of the Nautilus weight machines. Then there's a POV shot of people screaming and running as Melvin walks through the health club. He grabs Dennis, flips him over on the Nautilus weight machine, and uses the weights to smash his head. Another really good practical effect there. Oh, yeah. Then he leaves the mop on what's left of Dennis's head. Wanda is in the sauna with photos of this dead kid, the one they ran over on the bicycle, and she is getting herself off while looking at these photos. Melvin approaches the sauna, and he's got that same blanket that Slug was using to play the elephant man thrown over his head. Julie sees him and assumes this is Slug. She pulls the blanket off, and we get our first look at Melvin's lopsided, lumpy face. And that had to be an uncomfortable mask because in order to make his eyes look lopsided, it looks like he's got his head kind of cocked over to the side, but the mask is built up to look like his head is straight up and down. So yeah, yeah. holding his head that way all the time would have been really bad. Uh, you can definitely tell like in the fight scenes and stuff, they got like slight makeup on the sides of the dude's face. But yeah, and these, right. these, these scenes, it's like, oh, that's a whole that's a whole mask. That's that's like, yeah. And it's uh, it's like uh, you know, like in Goonies, they did they had like sloth, and that was cool, you know. And that, right. that was probably like way more expensive and shit. This one, <laughs> you, you can just you can just tell this is fucking painful to wear. Uh, yeah, they get better. Like uh, you know, in the second one, it's a little bit different, but way more stylized. And they started going with that look. And then by the time you get to like, you know four or five it's like i don't know just like uh, like 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 that how they keep on like redesigning mickey mouse every like 20 years or some shit yeah it's like all modern and sleek and shit and it's like oh okay but yeah this one is definitely just kind of like really hard to look at it's really gross and you can tell that whoever's wearing it just like not having a good time exactly 
Wanda screams and Melvin picks her up and sets her on the hot rocks of the saunas and says, let this be a lesson to you, hot ass. Uh. Next, we see Melvin peeing green toxic waste in an alleyway as Dr. Snodberger's voiceover further explains why Melvin is behaving the way he does. As he stands there peeing, a pimp in a limo pulls up and offers to sell him sex with an unwilling 12-year-old girl. So Melvin beats up the pimp and his three bodyguards and takes the girl back to the limo to take her home. Then we get a Melvin the Monster Hero montage. It's the first the montage of the movie. See Bozo and Slug about to run over a couple children playing in the middle of the street. Melvin grabs the kids and takes them to safety. Another spinning newspaper uh, is displaying between clips of Melvin saving people, but we never see the headline until later. See Melvin helping an old lady across the street. Melvin reaching in through a kitchen window to open a jar of Orville Redenbacher's popcorn. And of course, since he's a toxic waste monster, his touch causes the popcorn to pop in the jar. <laughs> also, like I like how she's like in the kitchen trying to open that, right? And he just comes up in the window like Toxic Avenger. <laughs> uh, like those Ernest commercials, you know, the purity shit. He's just like, yeah, excuse me, madam, I'll help you. Uh, that's just funny as fuck. It just comes out of the window. Sorry. Expecting to say something like, I see you have Orville Redenbacher's popcorn, the best tasting popcorn money can buy. Let me open that exactly. for you. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's already popped and it's like, ta-da, and it's like label out. There's a whole lot of product placement in this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's how you get shit done when you don't have any money, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> See a shot of Melvin rescuing a baby from something. Kids at the ice cream shop explaining how Melvin saved them. Then we see those same kids selling I Heart the Monster t-shirts. And headline on the newspaper, Monster Hero wins Tromaville's heart. And the gay hairdressers arguing over which one of them the monster might be attracted to. <laughs> Got to Mayor Bell Goody and his co cronies playing poker and complaining that the monster is hurting their crime ring. But don't worry, the mayor's got a plan to kill the monster. Then we see Melvin at night in an alley with flowers. Cigarface and his gang attack. They surround Melvin, and Cigarface explains that he's going to get revenge now. They're about to open fire, and Melvin just jumps straight up in the air and lands on a balcony so that these guys all shoot each other. <laughs> in town... The next day, Sarah is accosted by a group of bikers. They take her cane and start giving her a hard time. And she starts calling for Melvin. Melvin shows up and scares the bikers off. And then Melvin and Sarah walk off into the sunset. We just had a montage. So what should we do next? How about another montage, Jesse? Another montage, yeah. <laughs> hey, if the budget permits it, I'll put all the montages in this movie. We got a Melvin and Sarah montage. It includes walks in the park and a picnic. Sarah's trying to open a bottle of champagne, and when she does, the cork shoots out and shoots Melvin in the crotch, and then she sprays the champagne all over him. 
Melvin and Sarah in the bedroom. She says it's been two years since she's touched a man. And she reaches over to Melvin and steam starts rising from Melvin's crotch. They make love fully dressed. And then she makes him a breakfast of scrambled eggs. But because she's blind, she's dropping the empty eggshells straight into the pan with the eggs. (laughs) And finally, Sarah moving into Melvin's trailer in the toxic waste dump. Back at the health club, there is a POV shot of Melvin walking up on Julie. He tries to strangle her, but he's interrupted by somebody cutting, coming out of the shower. Julie runs away, and Melvin chases after her through the basement of the health club. She's trying every door she can to get away from Melvin, but they're all locked. Eventually, she opens up a dryer door, but the dryer's full of rats for some reason. She hides in a dark room and bars the door, but Melvin just busts through the door, hears Johnny style. And walks, walks toward Julie, and she is screaming in the most annoying way imaginable right now. Oh, yeah. She went from the scream queen high-pitched squeal to just going, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Melvin looks like he's going to stab her with a pair of scissors as she screams, but we'll never see it happen because it cuts to Bozo screaming. Bozo is screaming because Julie's stressing him. <laughs> Everything stresses Bozo. He needs to chill out, man. He really does. This guy has a severe Valium deficient. <laughs> Julie is late with the car and Bozo wants to run some people over. So Slug decides they should steal a car from an old lady nearby. Uh, they walk over to her and offer to help her and then beat her up with a tire iron and take her car. <laughs> now, as they're doing it, Slug is doing, is doing the Oh, What a Feeling jingle from the Toyota commercial. The 1984 Toyota Extra Cab. The neighborhood will never be the same. Oh, oh, what a feeling, Toyota. As they drive down the street, Melvin appears in the middle of the street in front of them. Bozo decides he's going to run him down, but Melvin jumps on the roof of the car and hangs on. Bozo starts swerving to try to throw him off, and there are a lot of rented U-Haul trucks in this part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's cheap stunt vehicle. Man, you just like control traffic. It's like it's something to drive around. It's an obstacle. And, well, you know, if, you you, make you sure, if you make sure the logo is in the shot, that's product placement. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> But yeah, they, they do a lot of U-Haul trucks in various sizes, too, at your local Ace Hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're swerving through traffic as they try to throw Melvin off the top of the car. Melvin reaches through the window and grabs Slug by the throat. Bozo's yelling that he's getting stressed and he wants str- Slug to take the wheel. But Melvin manages to open the car door and just tosses Slug out onto the street. Then he climbs in the car and attacks Bozo. He tells Bozo that he's really Melvin. There is an obligatory crash through a pile of boxes as they swerve to miss another U-Haul truck. Because you can't have a car chase without crashing through a pile of boxes. That's a rule. Yeah, it's got to be boxes, uh, a glass window. Or crates uh, of fruit, crates of eggs, yeah, fruit, any kind of like that, yeah. 
Bozo is crashing into stuff as Melvin tries to choke him. Melvin fights Bozo for the steering wheel as they speed through traffic, causing several car crashes in their wake. And of course, since they're car crashes, the cars have to burst into flames. That's another rule. That's yes. Well, they speed toward a playground, and Bozo's yelling, Give me the wheel, give me the wheel. So Melvin rips the steering wheel off and hands it to him as they speed straight towards a group of children on the playground. They miss all the kids, drive off the cliff, and the car explodes. <laughs> and there's a really long shot where the camera just stays on this burning car. Yeah. After the after the fire burns out, Bozo is dead and hanging out the windshield, but Melvin's fine, and he climbs out of the wreckage and walks off. Cut to Mrs. Haskell at the dry cleaners with her son's gross pants. <laughs> Apparently her son had a date the night before, and when he came home, he had these stains all over the front of his pants. I don't know what they could be. The owner of the dry cleaner sees a cop putting a parking ticket on his car out front and he runs out to stop him. That's when Melvin enters and attacks Mrs. Haskell for apparently no reason at all. He chases her through the dry cleaners before shoving her in a washing machine and then steam pressing her, which kills her. The dry cleaner comes back and sees Mrs. Haskell dead on the on the steam press there. And he says, hey, you're not supposed to be on that machine. Another spinning newspaper, this time reporting the monster hero kills innocent woman. See Melvin returning home to Sarah. She's reading a Braille book. He is not answering when she calls to him, which causes her to think maybe it's somebody else in the house. And she gets scared and finally he says, don't be scared. It's just me. He is upset about killing an innocent woman. He explains that he's a monster. You don't know this because you can't see. And he wants her to go back to her apartment because it's not safe to be near him. But instead, she convinces him that they need to run off to an isolated place where he can't kill people. There's another press conference at the police station. The public is outraged because Melvin killed an innocent person. Turns out, as the Nazi police chief explained to the mayor, she wasn't exactly that innocent. It seems she was part of an international slavery ring and had a police record a mile long. Damn. Yeah. That little lady did that? That's what the Nazi said. Shit. <laughs> well, the mayor doesn't want that story getting out. Instead, he wants Melvin killed, and he thinks he can use this story of him attacking an innocent woman to take care of that. The police assemble and prepare to kill Melvin. Officer O'Clancy doesn't like that idea much, but he gets shut down by the Nazi police chief. Over at the ice cream shop, Johnny and the kids want Roy, the store owner, to speak up on behalf of Melvin, but he can't do that. He could lose his business license. And that's when Officer O'Clancy explains to Johnny that, you know, people can't just go around doing things because it's the right thing to do. They got to have politicians to make those decisions. Normal people aren't qualified to make decisions like that. Cut to police with search dogs hunting down Melvin. They track him to a tent in a field. Two cops spot Melvin with Sarah. Sarah has changed into a bikini, and they got to watch her bend over and get into the tent. 
when the mayor finds out they've located Melvin, he calls the governor to deploy the National Guard to help kill Melvin. The governor doesn't want Melvin killed. The governor wants Melvin captured. And the mayor agrees to this, but he has no intentions of capturing Melvin. No. We get our final montage of the movie. Three montages in one movie. It's a military rollout montage. The captain of the National Guard, he doesn't feel good about killing Melvin either since Melvin has so much public support. And then we see Johnny and the kids run off to help Melvin. Melvin and Sarah are asleep in their tent surrounded by a huge crowd of cops, National Guard, a tank, and a whole bunch of spectators from town. They've got all guns aimed at the tent. The mayor arrives to oversee the killing of Melvin, but people are trying to change his mind. That's when the Nazi police chief announces that it is their destiny to follow orders. The mayor and his megaphone order Melvin to come out of the tent, and that's when the crowd starts lining up in between Melvin and all of the armed people. Melvin sends them all away, and the mayor gives the order to fire, but nobody's going to shoot. Even They even lower the barrel on the tank. Not going to do it. Well, the mayor, he'll, he'll do it himself, by God. And he takes a shot at Melvin, and Melvin advances on him. It seems that the mayor's bullets just bounce off of Melvin, or the mayor's just a really bad shot. I think it makes <laughs> more sense to have bullets bouncing off of him. Yeah. Well, Melvin has, we see flashbacks of all the people Melvin has killed. And then as he advances on the mayor, the mayor turns coward and starts begging for his life. He begs Melvin not to hurt him. Melvin punches him in the stomach and rips his guts out. Then he tells Officer O'Clancy to take care of this toxic waste. Well, Melvin has been away from Sarah for almost 30 seconds, and that causes Sarah to panic and start calling Melvin's name. She's blind, of course, so she falls. Melvin runs to her, and the crowd cheers. They kiss as the crowd gathers around them. The narrator explains that the monster rid Tromaville of all its evils. Next time you're in trouble, look to the horizon, and maybe, just maybe, the Toxic Avenger will be there. Kind of like the opening to the A-Team. <laughs> yeah. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Uh, the A-Team was like one dude in a pink tutu and a mop. Yes. <laughs> and roll credits. Roll credits. That was hey, a I love it, big dude. chunk of smelly cheese, and it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, the ending was a little weak, but it was mostly just the like kind of I don't know like launch the franchise, right? You know, get the mythos started, and it, like the the stories got some of them were weaker, some of them were really creative, but yeah, I like it. I, I just love them. It's just I don't know, there's something stupid about it. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I like a lot of trauma stuff simply because it's dumb and. It's dumb in a funny way. Yeah. And Lloyd Kaufman knows what he can do well, and he just keeps doing it. Not for everyone, uh, but highly recommended. And if you <laughs> like this one, check them all out. Trauma movies are hit and miss. But, uh, yes, they this, are. This, this is a classic. This is like stands to tell the time or whatever. And, uh... All right, man. I think that's a podcast. 
Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.